The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the California Consumer Privacy Act. And we have with us the actual star who was spearheading and took the lead and paid for it and did all the great work on this initiative. So we are going to be speaking with the person who knows intimately about this act and what it means and why he did it. And I'm just so excited because we are going to be talking with the actual author, Alistair McTaggart, and he's coming to us from San Francisco this morning, and we're just thrilled to have him. Let me tell you a little bit about his amazing background. Alistair is a real estate developer and investor based in San Francisco, and for the past 20 years, he's been a partner at Emerald Fund, one of the city's largest and leading, uh, one of the city's leading developers. And he has built condominiums, apartments, shopping centers, a self-storage facility, and a hotel in San Francisco. Currently, he invests throughout the Bay Area with a strong focus currently on Oakland. Back in 2016 through 2018, he created and led a ballot initiative which resulted in the passage of the California Consumer Privacy Act, AB 375 which is the most extensive consumer privacy legislation ever passed in the United States. So that's very exciting. Alistair is committed to community involvement, and he was deeply involved for many years as a volunteer on the board of San Francisco's nonprofit California Pacific Medical Center Hospitals, culminating in the approval and construction of two major new hospitals in that city in 2014. He's a past board member of Room to Read, the San Francisco Mission um, YMCA, and past board chair of the Sutter Physicians Foundation at the California Pacific Medical Center. He and his wife, Celine McTaggart, have three small children, and they live in Piedmont, just outside of San Francisco. And so you can learn more about him. And at our website at privacypiracy.org, where we have his picture, his bio, and we link to his website, which is caprivacy.org, so that you can learn more about the California Consumer Privacy Act. So thank you so much for joining us, Alistair. Mari, it's a pleasure. Great, great. Well, you sure were busy. Doing lots of stuff and raising little kids, and and I'm sure you were probably thinking this is for your children's future privacy, right? Yeah, it, it was. It's been a, it's been a journey, uh, but it it feels worthwhile at this point now that the law has been passed. 
Right. So tell us, how did you choose to get involved in this, um, you know, issue of privacy in the first place? Well, like so many things in life, it was sort of, uh, you know, a matter of happenstance or sort of serendipity. I I had a conversation with an engineer uh, who worked at Google, and there had been a privacy breach that day. It it was in the news. I, I actually forget which one. And I remember talking to the guy over drinks and sort of saying, oh, what's the big deal with privacy? Expecting to get sort of chapter and verse from the Google point of view back saying, oh, yeah, it's nothing. People are just worried about the wrong thing. And he said, oh, if you knew how much we knew about you, you know, you'd be really worried and, you know, upset. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's <laughs> interesting. It was an interesting response. It wasn't what I expected. Right. And so that's kind of, that was, that's where it all started. Wow. So then where did you go from there? Well, I mean, how did you go from so thinking a, about a, this to just jumping into creating this initiative? Well, I have a friend of mine, uh, his name is Rick Arney, and he and I both have kids in the same class in our school. And we, you know, we're sort of chatting, and he's always been interested in, in politics and California politics. And he kind of opened my eyes to the power of um, the ballot initiative, just over, you know, friends chatting. I remember one time, I literally was in, I mean, it's sort of kind of so cliched. I was in the shower, and I thought, you know, this would be a perfect um, thing for an initiative, this area, because, you know, I'm a business person, and I kind of get that business is powerful in around legislatures, and I thought, you know, they'll never let this happen in Sacramento. But I bet you, if you ask around, I bet you 9 out of 10 people would say, yes, I want more privacy from these giant corporations. And so I thought this just might work where a small individual could take on, you know, because these companies are the largest right. profitable companies the world's ever seen. And I thought, okay, absent something like this, nothing's ever going to happen in this country. So, uh, so that's that's where I started thinking about an initiative. And then one day I just decided, you know, I may as well be the person to do it. David and Goliath. <laughs> right? And, well, you know, uh, once we got going and, and the, the ball started rolling, they formed an opposition committee. And and people started, you know, all the big companies started contributing to the opposition committee and the different associations and the internet association. All there. And it, I, I, I added it up at one point, and all the, the market capitalization of all the companies opposing me at one point was uh, $6 trillion. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Someone else might have run the other way. <laughs> but you didn't. Well, I was sort of in deep at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mr. Um star courage here. So um, a lot of states don't even have the initiative, uh, uh, you know, to be able to put things on a ballot. They don't even have that process where we can put an initiative on the ballot. And so that's something that is rather kind of unique for California. There are some other states. So can you, for those people who are listening that are not in California and don't, aren't aware of like things like Prop 13 and all that. Um, could you just explain how you went through this process, what you had to do? You know, the initiative process in California is basically uh, what it says is if you get a certain number of signatures, uh, and that depends, every cycle is different. It's dependent on how many people voted last cycle. To get a certain number of signatures, you, an individual uh, or a group, can put a question to the ballot, to the voters. And if the voters enact it and say yes, then it becomes law. It really started over 100 years ago with a, a governor of California named Hiram Johnson, who was fed up with how much power corporations had in Sacramento. 
ironically then and now, right? Um, and so he created this, which is really sort of uh, far-sighted of, of him at the mm. time, this process. And what it is in California, which is really interesting, is there's sort of two sets of laws. There's regular law that the legislature makes, but there's initiative law. And if you pass an initiative, it can only be amended with another initiative. Right. Like the legislature can't all of a sudden say, oh, we don't like that law. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get rid of it because that would sort of, uh, you know, uh, render the whole process moot. Right. And so there's this really powerful uh, concept. Now, look, it, it takes a lot of work, uh, but the idea of a person being able to, you know, shape a state this size, which is, you know, we're the fifth largest economy in the world, one in eight Americans lives here, I still, I'm, it is uh, staggering to me, it's humbling, and I, and I feel like it's uh, a true American kind of uh, story in the sense that uh, we, we, we give people a lot of power in this country, uh, individuals. And so, you know, what you have to do is you, the, 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 you come up with an idea, you uh, write an initiative, right. which is your proposal for a law. Right. Then you take it to uh, an office in Sacramento called the Legislative Analyst's Office, and they look at it and they say, hmm, how much is this going to cost the state of California if it passed? Uh-huh. Their, only, their only issue is to say how much would it cost the taxpayers. Because it makes sense. If you say to everybody, we're going to give you a tax cut, you kind of, the voters should know how much it would cost. Right, so right. the LAO uh, uh, does that calculation, and they're nonpartisan, and they come up with their assessment. Then they send that to the Attorney General's office, and the Attorney General issues what's called a title and summary. Mm-hmm. And they look at your law, and they... Put, I think it's a, I believe it's 150 words, and they say, okay, this is what how we're going to summarize the, the law. So, do you get to those, approve so that? This, do you get to approve what they do? You get to you do ap- not. Oh, okay. no, 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 you don't get to approve that at all. Oh. Uh, and they say this is what we're going to put in front of the voters if if it goes forward. If you right. get enough signatures, and so you know, Mari, when we were going through this, uh, I guess I'm a, I'm a business person. I got the idea, sounded reasonable. I kept on expecting that there might be a hurdle that was insurmountable. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, this is probably unlikely to work. Mm-hmm. So you start off, and, you know, if the LAO had come back and said this is going to cost the state $40 billion, right. it would have been, we would have been, you know, it would have been over. Uh, so we did craft it especially to try to make it, the LAO come up with it, you know, with a, we tried to write the law so that it wouldn't cost the state anything. Right, right. Then if the attorney general had come back and said, you know, this is going to put lots and lots of people out of work right. <laughs> in the title and summary, again, we would have been... Uh, it wouldn't have worked, but, you know, I think the, LA, the Attorney General did, did their job and issued a very, you know, straight-down-the-middle fair assessment of the law. Wow. So then once you get that um, mm-hmm. title and summary, then legally, and only then, can you go out and start gathering signatures. Right, and that's in a huge burden as well, a big hurdle to get over, right? Yeah, and that's probably the, uh, you know, for all this talk about democracy, that's, that's the area where... Uh, either you have to have a really big grassroots organization mm-hmm. or you have to have some money to pay a signature gatherer. Right. Um, and uh, it's one of those two. So we uh, legally had to get 366,000 signatures in order to put the question on the ballot. Right. We ended up actually getting 629,000, <laughs> which, little fun fact, that's more registered voters, because <laughs> everybody's supposed to be registered voters on it, right. than, than people living in Vermont or Wyoming. Wow. Uh, which, again, just shows you how big this state is. Right. Um, and so you have a certain amount of time to get your signatures, and then you turn them in to the Secretary of State. 
and the Secretary of State starts examining the signatures to see if they're valid and if they match the voter rolls in the different counties that you've turned them in. So the Secretary of State actually sends them to the counties. The counties do that. The counties verify. And uh, if you get enough signatures, if they, 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 they're basically checking your validity rate. Right. Uh, and then if you get enough, you are going to be on the ballot. What's different now compared to, I think it was two election cycles ago, up until then, once you turn in your signatures, it was a binary outcome. Either you qualified and you were on the ballot, or you didn't qualify and you weren't on the ballot. Uh-huh. What happened, I think Daryl Steinberg passed a law which said, hey, even if you qualify, let's give a little window to the legislature to negotiate with you right. to pass a law. And if it does kind of what you want the initiative to do, then you'd withdraw the initiative. Why? Because that, A, keeps the law in the purview of the legislature, which can then amend it much more easily in the future. Right, right. And then, B, it just gets one more ballot off the off the. Uh, out of the election, right. saves money, it, it saves time, and it does essentially what the what the uh, legislature is supposed to do. Right. So, this was really the first cycle that that uh, dynamic was was really in full force, and there were a number of uh, initiatives, but ours was the, probably the poster child for this actually working. Right, right. Well, you scared the heck out of the legislators and all of the people who support them and uh, lobby for you know with them. So that's um, just the fact that you did that got them off their butts to get something passed, and then they had to negotiate with you, right, to see if you were willing to take it off the ballot. So yeah, how did that work? Um, <laughs> so we, starting in the, in the beginning of last year, while I was gathering the signatures, I did go up to Sacramento to meet people. Uh, mostly out of courtesy, because I, I will tell you that I was almost the most surprised person that we got a law done, because I didn't actually think it would be possible for the legislature to, to move far enough towards me. Right. So one of the sort of, I guess, secret, I mean, not so secret, but one of the things that was going, we had in our favor, yes, I'm a tiny little person compared to these giant corporations, but right. this issue polled extraordinarily well. We did, I did internal polling, and, um, you know, we polled it in the 80s, uh, and I remember my pollster saying to me, you know, that she'd never seen any uh, any any issue pulled this much, this, this strongly in California. Well, I think it also uh, would have scared them to see that you had 600 and something thousand signatures instead of the minimum that you needed. So, I mean, that that was a telling yeah, in that, itself, that, that, right? That well might have. Yeah. That well might have. And I think it was this funny dynamic, Mari, where they knew, sure, they could spend $100 million, and that was the number they were talking about, $100, $150 million against me. <laughs> but the, it's a funny thing to do. If you're Google... And you're spending, and the, the number I had heard through the grapevine was that they had soft-circled $40 million to commit to this. Wow. Let's say Google <laughs> spends $40 million against privacy in California, their home state. That doesn't look very good, right? No, no. So they were not eager to do that. <laughs> right. You know? Uh, and none of, none of the companies were, were eager to do that. And so, um, so I went up to Sacramento, and I met uh, a number of people, but the chair of the privacy committee in the, in the assembly is a fellow named Ed Chow. Ed Chow. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, a fellow on the Judiciary Committee uh, in the Senate was, uh, is, is Senator Hertzberg, and those two people ended up being sort of nominated by their uh, respective House leaders to sort of be my, my point of contact. And so, you know, I, I met them, and they're both, you know, very nice and pleasant. And, I, you know, we, we had sort of conversations that got more intense uh, Initially, as I say, I didn't expect very much. There's a really crazy small world story that the Senator Hertzberg turns out knows quite well 
my best man and called roommate. So there was a little back channel there of <laughs> him saying, hey, is this guy a person I can trust? Can we do a right. deal with this guy? And, right. That's great. Funny, funny world. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but, you know, I, the, so here's the, was, was, was one of the tensions, uh, one of the big tensions, Mario. So in, in our law, our law does three things primarily. It does more than three things. But the three main things it does is, one, when it, it goes into effect next January, It'll give you the right to go to any company and say, "What do you know? What, what information have you? Collect, what of my personal information have you collected? What right. do you know about me?" Right. Get my information back. Two, it'll let you say to them, "Hey, you know what? Great. I see you have that. You may not sell it anymore. You can't sell that information to you know hundreds of companies I've never heard of." Right. And it gives you some control over the information. And then the third is it says, "And by the way, you've collected my personal information. Now you have to keep it safe. And if you don't keep it safe, uh, I can I can sue you." If you have a data breach and you have right. not, if you've been negligent, I can see you. Right, which well, is which is huge because right now, you you really um, you're really precluded from that in so many ways. You know, um, so that's that's the challenge. It's a great, it's a great a, point. It's a great point. You know, for for I mean, forever in this country, the last thirty years, the sort of the, the party line from big tech and from corporations have been, hey, you know, we respect your privacy. We are happy to allow you to sue us. Just show us your damages. Right. And right. as we, you all know, you have an Equifax breach. Your data is good. Six months right. later, you know, you have a identity theft. You, right. The consumer, there's no possible way you can link those two, but you know that that's kind of what happened, right? Right. And so the, uh, all the laws that have existed up to now have been sort of that based on your actual damages, which don't, ever amount to anything in privacy. Right. The, so the, the only way you could about. do that is if there was a, a bank that lost it, and then you get the identity thief who's selling your stuff, and you find all your stuff in his, um, you know, in his trunk or something. <laughs> it has sure. to be like yeah. a direct nexus, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so what our law yeah. said for the first time was it's like a speeding ticket. The violation is the harm. Right. We don't care why you, you know, uh, sold my, 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 my geolocation after I told you not to, it's a fine. We don't care right. why you didn't give me back my information if I asked for it. It's a fine. It's just like the cop never says to you, hey, why were you speeding today? Oh, okay, that's fine. Right? <laughs> Here's a ticket. Right. And so, the, but in our, in our initiative, we had what's called the private right of action for everything, which means the, the consumer could sue for all those violations. Right. Which the businesses just hated that. Yeah, of course. And... Yeah, so the negotiation really boiled down to limiting the private right of action mm-hmm. to negligent data breach, and I can go into that in a second. But in return, we got the right to see specific pieces of information, like all my information the companies had collected about you. In the initiative, we only had said that companies had to tell you which categories of information they've collected about you, mm-hmm. but now it's all of it. Right. We got the right to delete the information you've posted, that we didn't have that initiative. Right. We got the uh, increase for opt-in for kids from 13 to 16, so they have to get the kids up, up to 16, they have to get their permission before they can sell their information. Mm-hmm. So we got, you know, extra privacy protections. We limited the private right of action, and that ended up being the deal that we struck after, like, tortured negotiations going on for a while. 
struck that deal with. Uh, Thank God with, they had a good negotiator on, on your side to be able to say, well, okay, I mean, what are you, you know, going to give I, us? If we give this up, what are you going to give us? You know, what's in return for yeah, us? And right. I, you know, I will say the, the funny thing is, having been in business for, you know, 25 years, it wasn't my first negotiation. Right. And then <laughs> I will say, you know, Senator Hertzberg, some member Chow, you know, Hertzberg is a force of nature. And, uh, so he, you know, it wasn't his first negotiation either. So it was actually, and, you know, he had to negotiate with me, but he also had to negotiate with business and get them in line. Right, right. Uh, and, and so, you know. Uh, and he had to be kind of like a mediator. About, he, he almost had to be like a mediator too, right? To yeah, and of, you know, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a good point. When I was going through this, there was a lot of pressure on me to meet the businesses directly. And I said, you know, no, that's actually your job, folks. You, Mr. Child, Mr. Hurst, right, that's your job. Right. You meet them. Come, right. come talk to me. Right, right. And, and that is their job because they're trying to please as many sides as possible, right? And and they knew yep. that um, they had 600,000 people already who were, who were behind you wanting this. Right. So, I mean, they, right. they knew that. And so... What what an incredible feat that you did! I just have to say I honor you for that. That's so. When are you running for office? <laughs> I'm not. I have three little kids. Uh, you know what's what's been funny, honestly, Mari, is I thought that. So so the funny part of this whole thing, or not the funny part, there is a statutory in, in the in the in the going back to last summer. There's a statutory deadline where I either had to decide by 5 p.m. on June 28th to withdraw the bill. Oh, from wow. the ballot or, or leave it on, right? Oh. And it's just, it doesn't get extended. Wow, so, so so it was like pressure to the last moment. Oh, I mean, the bill <laughs> passed that day. Right, I remember so that. Crazy is, yeah, everybody said, you know, oh, that's okay, you can get Jerry Brown to sign it any old time. If it passed out the legislature, he'll sign it. And I was like, you know what, I've, I've actually invested too much time and effort in this. Either he signs it today or I'm leaving it on. Right. And so there was this mad scramble because of a whole bunch of reasons which I won't go into, that it did come down to that last day, and he was leaving for a fundraiser, the governor, <laughs> and so we had to get it to his office. I mean, it, was, it came down to the last right. of, like, hour. Well, look uh, at the leverage that you had, because that was such, such a fear for them that if this initiative did get on the ballot, and likely it would pass, because you would make sure that it would pass, um, if that would happen, then, like you said, the challenge would be if they wanted to make any changes later, it they'd they'd need a whole new initiative. So that was the right. huge leverage that you had on your side, is that you know they they'd be out of luck for a lot that would scare the heck out of them. Is and that private right of action is the one thing that they always fight us on, right? And I mean, I've testified right. so many times too. So that was you you know now that. You know, sometimes you get it at the last second. Sometimes I'll be mediating, right, all day long, and 11 o'clock at night, everybody's so tired. And then they go, okay. I say, well, if we don't have it now, let's just go home and never go, okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? It's that sometimes it's the 11th hour that it happens. That's exactly what happened here. Yep. Yeah, exactly yeah. that was just amazing. So let's talk about who's covered by law. So those we have, here we are in, you know, Orange County. So we've got people driving by that are business people. We have people listening, you know, all over the country. And some people think, oh, well, if I'm not in California and I'm a business, I we don't even have to worry about it, but that's not true. So let's talk about who's covered by the law, which businesses, you know, what what's going on? So, um, 
you know, my thought is that, uh, and you know, you're a testament to this, that you know, privacy isn't something that sort of is is one done and then okay, now we're done. This is going to be an ongoing debate, and I thought, well, let's just try to move the ball forward. So we cover one thing: business. We don't cover nonprofits. We don't cover governments because we, I was just trying to get one thing done. Right. And I and I do think the majority of the problem with respect to the sale of your data is. Um, is, is, is generally big big business, right? It's, it's and and then the government is uh, buying from big right. business, right? So if you take care of big business, you at least, uh, you know Correct. what I mean? <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And, and we cover government buying from big business. Right. You're 100% right. Right. Exactly right. So now big business, I had a higher threshold. I had, I had annual revenues of $50 million. The legislature lowered that to $25 million. So if you're a business over $25 million in revenue, you're covered. Right. If uh, you are sort of buying or selling or using, you know, 50,000 pieces of personal information a year and keeping it as personal information, you're covered. Or if you are uh, getting half of the, your revenue from selling personal information, you're covered. And um, the important thing, what you just said about the about where you are, is it, we're, this is not regulating California business. We have nothing to do with California. This, this law has nothing to do with California business. This law has to do with Californians. Consumers in California, right. Consumers. So it doesn't matter whether the company's in Tel Aviv or Tokyo. Mm -hmm. If they're doing business in California, they have to comply. Right. And my my thought there, Mari, is, look, we're the fifth largest economy in the world. We're a country. Right. We're way bigger than most European countries. Right. And so most businesses in the world come through California at some point here, you know, and it's hard to do, be a consumer business and not do business in California. So I, I was very, you know, I could never have done this in, go back to Vermont or Wyoming, because actually if you were in Wyoming, Facebook could mount a campaign there and say, okay, we're going to pull out of Wyoming. Well, mm-hmm. they can't do that here. <laughs> right. It's, it is amazing. It is amazing. So, you know, what about identity theft? Do you think that this new law will help us with identity theft? That seems, you know, that's one of my expertise is so, dealing with victims sure. of identity let's, theft. Let's, yeah. talk about, let's talk about identity theft because it's one of the areas I'm most, um, I'm most excited about the law. Uh, and, and originally, when I first had the idea, it was I wanted to do a, like a Freedom of Information Act for, for, for people, for mm-hmm. business. And then the Equifax thing happened. I thought it was just so outrageous. Right. Um, because it affected so all of we, us, right? All of us. It affected all of us. And I, and I was doing the research, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to stick something in about this. And actually, it was my, it was my friend Rick Arney, uh, who's been there as a volunteer with me the whole time through, and he's a really smart guy, and he's like, we should put something in here. So what we do, what the law says is, this is where we ended up with the private right of action. The law says, hey, look, if you have a data breach, if it's negligent, you have a big problem. Now, what does negligent mean? Because it's it could mean one thing to you and one thing, one thing to me. So we say, look, here are the three, let's call it safe harbors, where if you've done these, you don't have any liability. If you encrypt your data right. like you should, then it's fine. Right. You know, if you have redacted your data, that means if you've taken all the names out of the data, right. so they're just selling stuff that they can't, they're stealing stuff they can't identify, okay, again, right. Right. You, don't have a, you don't have a data breach. You don't have a liability. Right. And then the third thing is there was a law before ours, California law saying that if you're collecting personal data, you have to have reasonable practices and procedures right. in place to protect the data. Right. So we said, okay, if you've done that too, also. But if you haven't done one of those three things and you have a data breach, then you're liable 
for penalties from $100 to $750 per breach. So if you have a big breach, this could be in the billions of dollars. Right. Uh, this is buttressed by the fact that you'll recall that uh, there's a data breach notification law. So, you, so right. the company has the breach. They have to notify people. If they haven't encrypted the data, they have such a huge problem that I think, going back to your question, does this help identity theft? I don't think there's a responsible company literally on the planet that touches California where you know the chief information officer is not going directly to his or her boss and saying, you know, we have to right. encrypt. We have to take better care because we are going to face existential penalties if we're, if we're cavalier with people's data. Right. And well, you know what? That was my goal is I didn't want to have a situation where you have a well-meaning company, the North Koreans hack into that company, right. you have a problem. Okay, right. you've done your best, you've done your best. Right. But if you're a bank, just the analog that I think most people will understand, imagine having a bank where, where, where not only did they not lock the doors, they didn't even close them at night. Right. You know, and everybody could just walk in and help themselves with the money, which is what so many of these data companies do. They keep the stuff in plain text behind, right. like, no good security. Right. Alistair, believe it or not, we are out of time. Oh, my God. this We're going to have to have you back again. But I love the way you put the carrot and the stick. That's what we did when we wrote the breach, uh, the security breach uh law in California, but you have a much bigger stick and even a, a better carrot. So we're going to have to go, but I would love to have you back again if that would be fun for you too. But it is time to go. So just give your website and I got to end. All right. Okay. okay, great. Yes, it's, w, it's caprivacy.org and you can learn about the law. The law is called, called the California Consumer Privacy Act. It goes into effect in January 2020. Yeah, caprivacy.org. And thank you so much, Alistair. You've done great work, and we're just so, so um, in awe of, of your incredible stamina and motivation. So, Alistair McTaggart, we will have you back again. Thank you so much. Great. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine at KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.